it's going to be a, a hard few years. Um, I think it's not going to be fixed by next next month. It's not going to be fixed next year. It's going to take two or three years, but I think we're going to have uh, a new chapter for hospitality. And I think that's all going to start with that training and bringing people back into the industry. Today on Dirty Linen, we are heading to Canberra to have a chat to Damien Brabender. Damien is the executive chef of Otis Dining Hall. And we were in touch recently when I wrote an opinion piece for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald about the $50 main course. A lot of restaurants are are smashing through that barrier. I guess it's a psychological one as much as anything else. Um, And of course, while, you know, most restaurants probably are not at that price point, I suppose everybody in their own business can relate to the issues around raising prices, um, the anguish that many people go through. So Damien, uh, welcome to Daddy Linen. Great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Uh, tell us where things are at for you. How's how's business? How's Otis going? Uh, Otis is going very well. So winter fast is always a strong period due to the Canberra region being heavily focused on truffles, which obviously are highly prized and sought after. Um, it is kind of the only beneficial thing to be in Canberra for over winter. I can give you the big tip now. Um, but you know we're very, very lucky to have a good, strong customer base um, who do frequent the restaurant quite a bit. However, we are going well, not as well as we'd like to, but we are still traveling in in a positive area. Um, there are so many restaurants that have closed down um, and that are closing down. Even just yesterday, the announcement that uh, Aubergine Restaurant, after 14 years, two hat restaurant will be closing its doors in, in October um, and just countless other restaurants um, have, have actually closed their doors already. That's devastating. I mean, what did you hear from Aubergine and from from some of the other businesses that have closed? I mean, of course, you know, nothing lasts forever and some restaurants have a natural life cycle. But, you know, what are you hearing about the reasons for these closures? Um, I'm uns- um, unsure about Aubergine, why they're closing. I could be, could be looking at something else to do in the future. They have been going for 14 years. Um, however, a lot of other restaurants that um, I actually know the owners of and and used to go to quite a bit myself, are literally closing for three main reasons. One is the weekly um, cash flow versus expenses, just the cost of goods, the cost of wages, the cost of rent rates, everything else is just skyrocketing. Uh, The other is the number of customers who are repeat guests. Obviously, the market is... is, um, kind of recovering from from the COVID uh, worries that people have, which are very understandable as well. Um, and the, the third one is just that the, the whole hospitality climate at the moment is, is really shifting a lot. The gap between your uh, medium-range restaurants and your high-level restaurants, the gap between the two is it's growing more and more and more. And as you mentioned in your article, that $50 main course price point, it is a psychological thing that customers are finding very hard to, to adapt to. Just um, Can we just dig into that medium and higher-end restaurant difference? Because I think that's that's really interesting. Like, wh- what, is it about re- people using restaurants for those special occasions and that puts you in a certain place and people who are more targeting those, you know, midweek diners who just need need some dinner and so they head out for more or less on spec. I mean, is that what you're talking about? Uh, well, just to make the, the obvious um, the obvious sort of comparison, a hamburger at a pub 
with some chips is going to cost you at the moment around $28 on average in Canberra, for example. Sydney, I'm sure there are some places that are a bit cheaper, um, but that's that's the price point you're looking around. When you're looking at a fine dining restaurant and you're getting a fillet steak and it's costing you $55, for example, the price point difference there, it's twice the price of a burger. If we rewind the clock about four or five years, you'd get a burger for around $15 and you'd get a steak for around $30. So when you're looking at it as that that percentage difference, it's always kind of in line with where prices are going now. But once you do get over a certain point, obviously with any percentage just doubling and doubling and doubling, it's going to be more and more for the person's hip pocket as well. So the difference between going, I'll just pay an extra 10 bucks. Yeah, it's gone up $10 in four years for a burger. That's fine. But when you're looking at a steak that's gone up $20, that's starting to really hit home for people. And with the everyday cost of living for people in their households, that extra $20 is probably how much their gas bill's gone up every two weeks. So um, it's kind of the way that people are perceiving the way they spend their money they're really wanting to make sure they get that quality level. Um, another big difference between dining at a pub or an entry-level entry family-style restaurant compared to a fine dining restaurant is the service level that you get. And that service level costs more and more money with the staff shortages as well. So where you can get cheap and cheerful at the moment isn't cheap, but it's still cheerful. That high-end is just kind of – the high-end restaurants are kind of just lacking with their um, – with their products to get their ingredients in at the right prices without having to put prices up too much, but also the execution in the kitchen and the execution on the floor from the wait staff as well. Yeah, there's just so many moving parts. And I suppose when people don't see that difference in service or whether it's, you know, the fit out that they expect or the little accoutrement um, that go along with the, that more fine dining experience, if people feel like, well, they're not getting that anyway, then it's certainly going to be harder for them to see the value and decide to spend that money. Absolutely, yeah. Without the experience, um, because it is such a big part of the recipe of dining, without the customer service and experience, it doesn't matter how good your Wagyu beef is that you're putting onto a plate, for example. If you don't like the person that's bringing it over to your table or you're not comfortable or um, the restaurant's not clean properly because cleaning staff are, are hard to get or you're waiting too long to put your order in, anything like this, it devalues and takes the, the polish off everything as well. And then that lumped in the same situation as that meal going up in price by 20%, 30% or even more, uh, people start to really question what is it that they're paying for. The, the quality in, in every aspect is, is too hard to get into the business um, and then to, to nurture that quality level to give to the customer. So once cracks start appearing, they start appearing as quickly as prices have to go up as well. Yeah, it's so heartbreaking. And, you know, when I posted about, you know, this article on Instagram, a lot of the, a lot of diners were saying, yeah, well, I don't, I don't mind. Like I will shell out more if I'm getting that quality experience. But it, I just find this such a heartbreaking conundrum because you think about, you know, owners and managers and, you know, it's the staff themselves who understand that things are really tight and that customers are perhaps, you know, really looking closely at the prices and then the pressure that that puts on you to deliver an experience that perhaps, you know, staff just for very good reasons are not yet up to, uh, just the pressure that that puts on everybody, you know, is compounds the problem as well. You just don't want to go into, oh, it's just so, 
yeah, it's just so awful for everybody when a business is struggling or on the edge and and that that is the moment in which they need to deliver a sublime experience. It's just almost an impossible situation. Yeah, absolutely. And when when everyone is is going through the same type of cost of living challenges, and I hate that term because we've been hearing it so much, um, particularly straight after an election campaign, it kind of become the motto for everyone. But everyone's going through these cost of change, uh, cost of living changes, whether that's your electricity, your gas, your petrol, uh, every ingredient you can possibly think of. And people are seeing the prices go up at the supermarket and they're seeing the prices go up at the markets and at the petrol bowser and whatnot and on their power bills. And then they're expecting that prices in restaurants and cafes will go up at the same same dollar amount, whereas they don't go up at a dollar amount. They have to go up at a percentage amount. So if you're working on your cost of goods, and I'm sure you know what that is, but for those listening, um, cost of goods is literally, as it says, it's the cost of the goods that you are buying to put on the plate. Now you need to put into uh, into all of your all of your calculations, wastage, food transportation, um, food storage, everything like that as well. So as a rule of thumb, you want to have 25 to 30 percent cost of goods. So if that steak is going up by $5 to get it in the door of the restaurant, that means it has to go up $4 or $3.30 for every dollar that goes on that steak. So $5 extra is literally should be another $20 on the menu price. Most restaurants can't do that because it is such a big shock to the system. It would be social suicide for any brand to put their prices up that quickly. So the people that are actually taking the hit uh, actually, the restaurant owners themselves, so many are not paying themselves. So many are not being able to roster themselves on knowing that they're going to get paid for that time, but they can't afford not to roster themselves on because of the staff shortages as well, whether it's the, running the social media or accounts or anything like that as well. It is a lot more than, than an eight-hour-a-day job too. So um, passion can push people so far in this industry, and we've seen that. So I think that the the number of pressures that there are on restaurant owners um, and hospitality staff at the moment is just going to continue to multiply as well. Yeah, look, it's true. I mean, a couple of things going through my mind. One is that, yeah, the Restaurant and Catering Industry Association most recent benchmarking report notes that, yeah, a large percentage of owners were underpaying themselves and that's before these recent cost of living, sorry, I hate that term too, but what do we say, <laughs> pressures that have come on. Um and yeah, it also just makes me think of the recent podcast chat we had with Giorgio De Maria at Pasquay in Sydney, who is working the floor with a broken foot simply because he has to. You think, well, that is wear and tear on body and mind that you really wish, you know, you didn't have to, um, you didn't have to have. But yeah, there's just, there's no choice when it's your business. It is it is really, really tough. Um, and I think it's so, you know, you spell it out so clearly, Damien, about, you know, the the amplification of those cost increases. But I think that is something that's very tricky for diners to understand. There is still this sort of, you know, you know, sure, I know that, you know, the price of lettuce has gone up, but I don't understand why that, that cost increase needs to be amplified for me as a diner. I mean, what do you... Do, what do you have any like formulas for these conversations to have with with diners or people who just don't understand um, the way these cost increases impact the bottom line for restaurants? 
Yeah, um, I do. So with the calculations that I run in any business is always that 25% target cost of goods that I mentioned. So again, that doesn't take into account GST either. So that means that if I'm spending $5 on food coming in the door, it has to be $20 on the plate. But what I've done is said, right, that's our break-even point. That's our That's our line here. Any increase of price that we're doing over the next 12 months just so that we don't um, – demonize demonize the the brand to customers by putting prices up because obviously the higher end scale those percentage increases equal uh, a much more shock to the system with the price going up so instead of running at that 25 percent cost of goods i run that up to a certain point and then after that i'm literally running at 50 percent cost of goods so for example if a dish was costing me ten dollars to make in the past and that was being sold for $40 plus GST. Um, and then I have to spend an extra $3 all of a sudden, which is an extra 30%, which would be the profit margin literally gone. So, you know, now we're just doing it out of the good list of our hearts. Um, that, extra, that extra on top of the original costing, I only um, calculate 50% into that. So we're actually still absorbing quite a bit of that increase ourselves as well just so that that increase isn't double of what it appears at the moment which is actually where it should really be um we're kind of waited waiting at the moment just to watch the markets saying you know hopefully beef prices are going to come down for example beef prices in winter historically should always be the lowest they are throughout the year but at the moment um it's it's you know going up and up and up and we're kind of just waiting for that respite and the hardest part for, for everyone in society, not just restaurants, is that we keep hearing next next year it'll stop, next month it'll slow down, next three months it'll slow down, but it just isn't. Um, none, none of these things are dropping in price. So I think the another term I hate, the new normal, is that things are going to be more expensive now. Um, farms have less people working in, in abattoirs and packing and people have less people collecting eggs by the sounds of things at the moment. So... The, the the scarcity is going to drive prices up. Restaurants like ourselves at Otis, we are absorbing 50% price increases, but we can only do that in our business model for around six months or so until the end of this year. Then we will have to reformat again to say, what's cash flow working at? How is it all going to work out as well? Um, but one thing I mentioned before is just monitoring where – your, your prices are in relation to other people in the same industry at different different rungs of, of price points. So we don't want to get to a stage where we're holding back on increasing prices just to save face and then find out that, you know, you, you walk around the corner and a restaurant at a, at a, at a perhaps more approachable level um, their prices are getting towards the same as ours. So I know for I know there are pubs in Canberra selling steaks at nearly sixty dollars each, and that's what you have to that's what you have to pay. Um, but we just need to make sure that there still is that disparity between high end entry level family style dining, pub dining, etc. Mm, wow, that's so interesting. So I mean, how are you literally like looking on the internet at people's menus and keeping an eye on the prices? Or I mean, are you walking around to the, to the restaurant around the corner and just looking at the menu in the window? Like, what are you actually doing? Uh, literally, I'm watching every menu that I can watch um, just to see the price point. I and mean, normally, you know, for the last two decades, I've been looking at menus and, and looking at the words, but now I'm just looking at the numbers. And, and literally, I, I will calculate the price of 
all the whole menu added together and then work out the average price for entree for main for dessert um, in that style, for example, and then work out, you know, our, our customers still dining in the restaurant, but now because those price points have gone up by X amount, are they skipping the entree or are they skipping dessert? Is that going to turn around to hurt the business? Because now your cost of cost per customer actually drops down because people aren't saying, I'm not going to have dessert because I don't want to pay $20 for dessert. I feel as though it's only worth $14, for example. Um, and a lot of your costings, your dessert, for example, would normally be a higher profit margin compared to your protein, like your steak or duck or fish on a plate. So, um, yeah. And one of the things that's that's also being affected just in the kitchen side of things is that, that that romance of, you know, the chef going to the markets and seeing what's what's good that week and putting it on the menu, so so much necessity goes into it now where now people are doing the exact thing I said before. They're not looking at, at the product and the words. They're looking at the number and they're going, what can we afford to put on the menu without putting the price up too much? So I think that where, when we had that, that boom about eight years ago of, of people using secondary cuts of meat – um, because of the price point was lower and they could do more with that. We're going to have the same type of thing as well. I think we're going to see more and more um, vegetarian dishes on menus. We're going to see more and more, um, you know, cheaper cuts of meat kind of found and experimented around with. But the flip side of that is you need experienced, talented chefs to handle those products properly. And their wages for those guys are going to go, those guys and girls are going to go up as well. So everything's kind of balancing out. So we need to really focus on on not discounting the product because then the diner gets less of an experience. We just need to we need to be increasing prices across the whole industry, not just some restaurants. And I think that everyone's a bit scared as restaurant owners to be the first one to increase your prices. Um, I know even during the COVID times when we went to set menus only and we were one of the first to do that in our area um, where we are and so many customers were happy with it, but other customers, they just weren't having a bar of it. So, but then, you know, within a few months, everyone was doing that because you had to cement that cost per customer in to ensure that you can pay your staff, you can pay your other bills and things as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you do see that when enough people do it, customers just, you know, have no choice but to come to the party with, you know, taking credit card details, whatever it is, or, you know, set, uh, booking, everyone can't come at 7.30. You know, people will just start to realise that um, they have to fall into line to some degree. And if that module doesn't suit them, then there's probably, you know, a, a restaurant that will accommodate what they want and hopefully they'll have a great meal there. But, yeah, you can, it's not as much as you, it's it's just always that rub between being hospitable and, and running a business, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And one thing that I, I do talk to people quite a bit about is something as simple as just the definition of words. I mean, people need to, to look beyond beyond just the number next to something and say, that's expensive. I mean, no one ever sees a Lamborghini and says, that's an expensive car. They say that's a valuable car um, instead of the other way around. And I think with food, because people are used to paying less of a less amount and now the price has gone up, people hopefully are seeing the value in what 
good skilled chefs are doing with food and what good skilled service is and seeing it as valuable, not as expensive. It is worth what you're paying for as long as it's being nurtured properly and shortcuts aren't being taken. That's that balance that we are kind of mentioning before. The difference between discounting the amount of money you're spending on the products and um, giving less to the customer. We don't want to do that. We want to make sure the customers are still getting the same level of experience. If the price goes up, then we'll absorb what we can, but we need to make sure that the business is still viable and that the product is still getting better every single day despite the challenges that we're facing. Because if we start going backwards, it's just a it's, it's an industry that's driven by passion. And once you have to take shortcuts and do things and you don't have that real hands-on passion involved with the creation of the food and the menus, then you, you shouldn't be there doing it anyway. So it is important that we don't lose that passion because of these challenges that we're facing on the checkbook. Yeah, I mean, because really using secondary cuts or tertiary cuts these days or using more veg, I mean, they're not bad things, but I suppose you want them tackled in a spirit of joy and discovery and, you know, a, a great experience for the customer, not through this desperation of like, you know, what's what have we got, you know, in the in the seconds bin today? It's, um, it's yeah, it's about, but it must be harder and harder and to muster that sort of enthusiasm and that positive attitude that then is going to flow through uh, the whole business and, and out onto the dining floor at times. Absolutely, yeah. Discounting what the customer gets in the, in the terms of not giving them the proper quality and respect that they deserve is just a recipe for disaster. Customers are, are extremely uh, they're extremely switched on to what they like. They're ex- extremely um, keen on on what they're going to be enjoying. They're not going to pay the same price that they were paying a year ago to get less. I know that sounds silly, but people don't want to get less and pay the same. People would rather pay a bit more and get more. So we can't just say, let's put the prices up. We need to say, okay, we need to change the model of the business slightly. We need to put prices up to cover costs, absolutely. But we need to make sure that there is some increase for the customer as well. So they're not just going there and saying, now it's more expensive. We want them to see it and say, now it's even more valuable. Oh, I love that. But I mean, can you give me a specific, like, how do you do that? Um, for example, when, when we're looking at different proteins that we're using, um, the unsung hero for us at the moment on the menu is, is one of my favorite proteins is duck. So many people aren't getting duck um, because of the price point. But if you get duck that is still whole and you're butchering it yourself, for example, you're going to be saving money on that as well because the staffing down the line is literally the people that are packing and processing meats. Um, they don't have the as many skilled hands to do that, so they're discounting the price of whole ducks and whole chickens and any poultry like that, for example. So there are ways that you can still get even better quality meat than expected um, and also not have to combat too much of an increase. Um, so that way you can kind of, you know, you can put more on the plate in that sense as well. 
Mm, and possibly even get like, you know, a duck neck sausage out of it for whether it's a special or a staff meal or some, something like that. If you've got, if you've got the skills to do it, um, but you, you, what, yeah, absolutely. And the bones as well. Yeah. No, of course. And the bones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that you mentioned, Damien, is the wastage levels due to skills shortages. Can, I mean, and this ties into the whole animal. I mean, can you talk about some of the tensions between wanting to, um, I guess, yeah, bring in whole animals or uh, do you do other kinds of processing on site, but the, tr- the, the trickiness of doing that when there are skills shortages? Well, there, there's two different, uh, two lanes, I guess, when you're looking at, at um, minimising wastage. Um, one is production and one is preservation. So production is literally the skill set level of the chef. I mean, if you look at you know, if you've got 10 chefs randomly from 10 different places and gave them, um, gave them a whole fish and said, fill up this and clean it up and get me this many portions, uh, you'd end up with very, very different product at the end depending on the chef's skill level. Um, you know, one slip of a knife and all of a sudden you may have lost the whole side of the fish because you, the, the chef's cut straight through the middle of the fillet. And that's a lot of money to be wasting. Also, when you're looking at during service, you might be sending out a hundred steaks in a busy service. If five of them steaks come back and they're not cooked correctly, because the chef that is is working the hotline is new to the industry and they're not as experienced or seasoned as as chefs that have been doing it a lot longer who can do it instinctually. Um, all of a sudden, you, you're losing, you know, five out of a hundred steaks. You're losing five percent of your of your profit margin there again. So um, it does add up quite badly and the other being preservation which I know sounds a little weird but it's as simple as the first in first out rule in kitchens and the fact that um, all those type of you know old school um, rhyming rules that that you use in a kitchen that you use when you're training uh, apprentices they don't even get used as often anymore because people are just so desperate to get anyone in a kitchen and they're short staff so they're doing 50 things at once so little rules like first in first out you know wrapping properly vacuum sealing food labeling things properly um, can be something where you end up having no rotation of stock or things aren't being stored as 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 properly as they should be. So you actually lose stock in the fridge. So you're losing stock in the fridge, you're losing stock in the in the fry pan as well. Um, it is really that two-lane kind of approach that you need to be focusing on. Losing any stock anywhere is always bad. Um, so, but, you know, at the end, the end of the day, losing stock drives up prices as well because if you're – if you're dropping, you know, ten percent of your eggs, then you're losing ten percent of your of your value of that product. It's all sounding pretty tough and tricky. Um, can you draw some positives out of this period, uh, where the industry is at, and you know, can you see any light at the end of the tunnel? There's always positives in everything, um, and in my opinion, anyway, particularly in hospitality, it is such a heart driven industry as well and the i think one of the main things is just the the open transparent communication between businesses and customers there's no way that that five years ago that i'd want to be going on a podcast or on tv or in an article or in a paper saying about my percentages and cost of goods and how things work that's just one of those rules of business that you don't you don't bring the the bank balance in front of the customer but now 
I think that we've removed that barrier and there's so much transparency and honesty that's going between customers and restaurants and vice versa that it is that customers are understanding of the situation and we are putting it in terms that they can say, yeah, I can, I can take that and I can appreciate it because I know at home this is how I have to balance my checkbook. I know it in my job that these are the things we need to look at for as well. Um, it is very, very important to have that transparency and communication as well. There's so much trust going both ways um, these days with restaurants and customers. Restaurants have to trust the customers when they ring up last second and say, I have COVID, I need my money back for my deposit. And we turn around and refund those type of things as well. You don't ask for proof and stuff. And from customers back to restaurants, um, you know, customers back to restaurants, they're, they're trusting that, that they are getting what they're paying for on a plate. Um, when it comes to light at the end of the tunnel, there definitely will be. I think that the change, the change of custom will definitely happen. Um, there definitely will be, a kind of an auditioning stage for a lot of businesses to have to prove that what they're putting on the plate and what they're putting in the glass is worth the increased um, cost on the menu, like we are mentioning before. But I think that once, once that auditioning stage for businesses to reintroduce um, the new normal uh, to customers, that they will be seeing something that is valuable, not something that's expensive. And I know I say that a lot, but... It really is what it all comes down to. As the price of something goes up, it only goes up because the value of it goes up, not because of greed. And I think that people are really going to get their heads wrapped around that. And and if that means going out one time a month less than before, then that's what that means. And it's better to go out and have quality over quantity, I think. What about from a staffing point of view? Can you find any glimmers there in terms of people coming into the industry or the kinds of experiences they're having once they get there? International borders reopening um, and our current government's doing some fantastic things that that, uh, is coming through the pipeline. We're seeing a lot of those conversations um, with our communications with the AHA and the RCA as well. Um, So there, there is a fair bit of promise there that we'll have international um, staff back in the industry. We are such a multicultural country and hospitality is, is really the, the absolute epitome of that. So um, there's some, some international skill sets that we are lacking at the moment. Um, we don't want to end up with this this undefined Australian cuisine everywhere. We do want to get some international flavours back into the kitchen and skill sets on the floor as well. Um, but also apprentices I think we're seeing a lot of people uh, after the COVID lockdown are saying, you know what, I do want to follow, you know, my my passion. I do want to, 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 you know, have my turn at trying hospitality, whether that's in a kitchen or becoming a sommelier or whatever as well. So we are seeing a lot of new people joining the industry, not as many as normal, but I think that they're joining with with stronger conviction that they're, they're, they're joining the industry saying I'm doing this because it's, it's passion based, not because it's a necessity and they just need any job. They're doing it because they weren't happy with their, their last job or career and they want to give this a proper fair income go. Um, I think that is, is a positive to take away from it. And just the, the school leavers as well. I think we're seeing more and more um, youths in Australia. I don't know the exact statistics, but I was reading something the other day. More and more youths in Australia are leaving, are leaving school 
um, to do a an apprenticeship, whether that's in, in hospitality or whatever else as well. So that's kind of also um, something to look forward to as well. It's going to be a, a hard few years, um, I think. It's not going to be fixed by next next month. It's not going to be fixed next year. It's going to take two or three years, but I think we're going to have uh, a new chapter for hospitality, and I think that's all going to start with that training and bringing people back into the industry. I oh, love it, Damien. Um, just such a great wrap up of all the different in of all the different aspects of what's going on in the industry right now. I really appreciate your perspective, yeah, all the thought that you've put into it, and obviously all the thought that goes into your business. Is such, um, yeah, the industry is lucky to have you, and I really appreciate your um, you sharing your time and thoughts with us today on Dirty Linen. Thanks so much for letting me have a bit of a chat and uh, keep doing what you're doing because, you know, like your, your opinion piece and articles and stuff and, and things like Dirty Linen, um, it does help shine a light on things. And even if it's just people hearing people like myself talk and say, that's the exact same situation I'm in, it does give people that kind of, that little bit of extra security to say, my my restaurant might be half full this week, but it's not because of me. It's not because of my food. It's not because of my business. It's because we're all in the same boat together. So thanks for uh, equalizing that conversation with everyone. Absolutely. We know, I've got no doubt that your words today are going to mean a lot to people and give them a lot of comfort. So thanks again, Damien. Thank you so much. Have a great day. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.